bitch. Ah, you know what old Jack Burton always says at a time like this? When you have to shoot, shoot, don't talk. Bitch, the Chicago. The earth is pure muck. Muck's a good thing. And who's in with mud? Mud is just fine. It's drowning in bog. Bog is good luck. And crawling with crud. Crud's a good sign. The poor, they got hope. The rich can buy soap. The rainbows, they got a pot of. And I ain't got a spot of. A few feet down, there's a lot of. Just waiting to buy tobacco and rye from now till I die. Ding, 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 ding. The, the best, best things in life are dirty. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Wheel of Dad Movies podcast. You're the best thing in life, which is the Wheel of Dad Movies podcast. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Um, just in case anyone needs any more musical clues as to what we're talking about today. um, <clears throat> You want to park that wagon here, mister? Ah, yes, that you're referring to the Simpsons bit, yes. We're going into the bloody carnage of Joshua Logan's 1969 <laughs> classic, Paint Your Wagon, with blood, with I blood. bet. <laughs> yes, we are doing um, the uh, the Clint Eastwood, Lee Marvin, Polycule movie musical. Yeah, I'm so hyped for this. It's our first musical on the podcast. It is, yeah, it is. It's also the first Lee Marvin movie that you're covering, I believe. Yeah. Yes. No one correct us, it's totally correct. <laughs> Which is kind of wild because Lee Marvin, fantastic actor, was in a bunch of really great, um, I'd say thriller-adjacent noir kind lot of, of like, lot of noir, a lot of war, a lot stuff. of westerns. Um, but this is, you know, alongside his um, the movie he won an Oscar for, Cat a, Baloo. a much more comedic role um, for, for him. And obviously a very against type for Eastwood at the, at the time. And it apparently, uh, reportedly, is the reason... He spurred on to become a director because he hated working on this movie. He went from doing like a, a year long shoot to being like, okay, that wraps up the one take we're doing. And everyone's like, hey, Clint, you want to do it? No, I'm going to go. I'm trying to eat lunch here. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I really wanted to talk about Paint Your Wagon. Well, I really wanted to watch Paint Your Wagon because a little bit of context here, guys. I fucking love Lee Marvin. Mm-hmm. I, he's probably my favorite actor, um, which is like a recent conclusion that i've made but having watched a bunch of his stuff and then i went on like i watched point blank for the first time the other year the killer the killer oh the killers with uh him and um clue Gulaga mm-hmm. and john cassavetes um which is a brilliant movie um obviously the dirty dozen and the professionals which i watched the first time last year and is going to be on an upcoming episode of the podcast as well which i'm really excited to talk about um i love him one of the most like versatile like, and greatest actors of his generation. Um, and Paint Your Wagon kind of fascinated me because uh, it's a movie that I've avoided for a very long time. If I were to give some context to listeners, mm. um, so I don't think I've ever said this on the pod, but we have been together for 10 years. Mm-hmm. We've been together for quite some time. Ewan is a very unique individual. Uh... That's how, how I would describe him. He's a very select taste. So for the past several weeks, you've been going on and on about, I really want to watch Paint Your Wagon. I really want to watch Paint Your Wagon. And I was like, okay, sure. He was like, oh, it's like a Western musical. And I was like, all right, whatever. 
And then he showed me the poster and it's like I had a Vietnam flashback to watching a Welcome to the Basement episode that they did about this. Um, very great show, Blame Society. They also do uh, beer and board games and stuff. And I was like, oh my God, this entire time you've been talking about the Clint Eastwood Polycule movie. <laughs> and I was like, I am 100% down to watch this. Then we went to watch it and it's two hours, 40 minutes long. So we yep. were not in the emotional state to watch it. But we watched it last night. We hunkered down. We had a takeaway. And it was a really fun time. Yeah! It was really good. I mean, I'd been avoiding it for a while because I'd kind of subscribed to the conventional internet opinion when I was boring. And I had boring opinions where I was mm. like, Clint Eastwood sings in this movie and he was also the man with no name. That's really stupid. And then also The Simpsons and its immaculate paint-your-wagon sketch. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, historically, quite a... You know, it's it's gone down in history as a bit of a notorious flop. Yeah, and it, it kind of comes at the end of the '60s when you have a bunch of epics and musicals that don't do well because audiences don't vibe with them. Yeah, I mean, this came out in '69, yep. and you know, hey. and you were. <laughs> I mean, that's what they were. The, the hey, three of them were doing, were doing. Right? Yeah. Um, you know, in in this era of the Hello Dollies, and even this director did Camelot, which is going to be very bad. <laughs> Um, you know, audiences were just tired of uh, Doctor Doolittle as well. People were very tired of overly blown out movies because, you know, it was post-war. Everyone was sad and down and it was the 60s. And then it's only really in the 70s you get the revi- the revival of cinema with like kind of gritty, uh, you know, that gritty 70s you get a new era of filmmaking. Wave. Yeah. yeah. And interestingly, um, one of the last musical opening episodes we did together, um, Patrick Williams has done some great episodes on youtube at the minute about content and the death of cinema and he talks a lot obviously about how you know cinema has died once already and that was in the 60s and 70s you know because people were at home watching tv um and they didn't want to go out and you know they they weren't ready to have these big showbastic unrealistic portrayals of life and the 70s kind of came about being like hey guys you want to you want to buy a pack of cigarettes and drink and <laughs> and learn about crime and the real things that are going on inside. Um, so, you know, Paint Your Wagon's very strange that it kind of got made, but apparently they had the rights to it for a while because it is based on a stage musical from the 50s. Um, but the guy who bought the rights died to it. Paramount was had a hold of it for quite some time. Um also, the filming of this movie was a bit of a shit show. Um, they were in multiple locations. The cast had to be driven to set every day, which cost a lot of money. There was a, a rainstorm or a, or a thunderstorm or something that destroyed a lot of um, the location. So Paramount had to rebuild it. Um, Lee Marvin was reportedly very drunk on set a lot of the time. He was a well-known alcoholic um, on set um, in in general, uh, which has kind of worked, I guess, for his character in this movie. Um, but Clint Eastwood reportedly did not put up with Marvin's drunken shenanigans on set and was very tired by the end of the this very long, arduous shoot. Also, it was very expensive because they have this really big destruction scene at the I end. I mean, can you think it of a more... It was a lot of money. Can you not think of a more cathartic way to end a tumultuous shoot than just blowing up the set? Blowing up the entire set. I mean, set. I also <laughs> do want to say as well, you mentioned the Patrick Williams videos there where uh, Friends of the Podcast, Action for Everyone... Got a shout-out uh, in got, that got episode, Got a shout-out, yeah. which is very, very cool. Um, but yeah, I, I'd avoided this movie for a very long time. And then I caught, um, when I visited home the other week, I caught a documentary on Lee Marvin. It was like a, cause mum still has the privileges of like Sky, well, did have the privileges of Sky Television last weekend. She's gotten rid of it now. Oh, wow. Um, 
but they had uh, they have like this own like Sky Arts is probably one of the main reasons that you'd want to get a Sky subscription. They have some really good stuff on there, especially if you love film. You know, really good interviews and stuff. And um, they have a um, a series called The Directors, and they have another one which is basically the same production company and same vibe that looks at actors instead. And they had a Lee Marvin episode, and it went through his entire career. You know, going through his days in the Marines in World War Two, where he was a scout sniper, you know, who was wounded in combat. His entire unit was wiped out. As well, yeah, 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 yeah. He he saw a lot of shit back then. It went all the way through his career from the from from the the early days in the fifties. His kind of zenith, where he gets starring roles in The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance um, and and Point Blank and The Dirty Dozen. Um, the professionals only got like a tiny shout out in that, which upset me deeply because I do think that film is a masterpiece. Um, but they had a nice little section on obviously Cat Baloo, which his Oscar winning movie, um, but also Paint Your Wagon. Um, and there was some really, really good insight um, in there. And the clip of them singing the best things in life um, just <laughs> really absolutely like destroyed me because it was so good. And, I'd never and again, really... Ewan, Ewan has been playing this song repeatedly <laughs> over the past couple of weeks in the build-up to us watching Paint Your Work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and Derek Malcolm, I was just looking up his name, who is an amazing film critic who passed away this year at the age of 91. He had such a good, insightful read on the film and looking at it, not just through the lens of, you know, getting getting rid of the whole stupid narrative narrativization of movie where it's like, oh, movie was expensive and flopped, therefore it has no artistic Lee, merit. Yeah. Lee Marvin turned down being in the yes, wild bunch exactly. to be in this fundamentally movie. boring takes. And Derek Malcolm, who who was a legend, he he kind of looked at it through the lens of not just the film having merit as a piece of art, despite having some flaws, which we will get into. Mm. Um, but looking at it in the context of Marvin's career and why Wandering Star, which is the big kind of solo song number mm-hmm. in the movie, um, which went on to chart at number one in, in the, the UK, UK. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and charted quite highly in the US as well, I think. He appeared on um, various shows, uh, talk yeah. shows where he actually performed it live. Um, he was basically contextualizing it within the idea of Marvin's career. And like I thought that was a really beautiful way of looking at it because Lee Marvin... As an actor fascinates me, he fascinates me just as much as a person. You know, this young man who went to war in the Pacific, came back, uh, noted left-leaning man, kind-hearted individual by all accounts, obviously had a struggles with alcoholism too. Um, but Wandering Star, lyrically, for, for Ben Rossum's character in the movie, it makes a lot of sense, you know. But there are some really interesting parallels between Rossum's character and I think Marvin as a person, you know, they intimate a kind of trauma that has occurred before the movie, which is why he's so sceptical of other yeah. people and doesn't want to be around them. And the idea of maybe having a disconnect from other people and, and contextualizing that way. I found that fascinating. And it's and Wandering Star to me is is the, the film's beautiful crescendo. And again, I love Lee Marvin. Absolutely adore him in all his movies. I think, you know, I'm not saying that Paint Your Wagon is his best role. However... Um, I do think he's marvellous in this movie. Yeah, I, I think as well, because we, we will um, gush over, over Lee Marvin. Um, I think the casting of Eastwood is deliberate in that it is smartly against type. You know, he is normally the lone wanderer in these types of movies who kind of moves from place to place. And really, it's his character that ends up wanting to settle down. Um, but I do think it's quite deliberate. You know, it's called No Name City. He's referred to as partner for the entire mm. thing. You don't learn his name until the end. So I think they are kind of leaning into that 
oh, this is this is Clint Eastwood, but not quite as you know. It's him. interesting that as well, because Clint Eastwood got his start, um, I'm trying to remember which show it was, but it was before, obviously, he made the move to Italy and mm-hmm. did the stuff with Sergio Leone. And, like, this film only comes out, like, three years after the conclusion of the Dollars trilogy. But it's interesting, you're right, like, it is almost using his his immediate on-screen reputation yeah. to, to play with expectations. Because Mar- Marvin was paid more to be in this well, than Well, yeah, he was um, a huge star than at the time. Yeah, Lee Marvin was paid a million dollars to be but in this movie. It's good that you mention the kind of... W- the, the way the movie, maybe unknowingly or knowingly, however you want to interpret it, kind of plays with the perceptions of its stars. Because we, as we were watching it, and we'll get into the thematic analysis as we go along, but we're looking at it and seeing, you know commentary on the idea of like countercultural movements in the 60s free love free love you know the idea of like um (laughs) sin and 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 what is sin and what is civilization all that stuff you know it has gene seberg in a lead role Mm -hmm. whose life was tragically cut short by the bastard organization that is the fbi um, she was harassed basically to death during the COINTEL Pro. Because she was very pro left wing. She yeah. she funded a lot of you know different. Um, she she donated a lot of money for the Black Panther Party. I did my dissertation on all of this, so it's quite yeah. passionate subject for me. Um, but she was wonderful in this, and as a key finger of the countercultural movement, it's interesting that she starts out kind of in the film with those countercultural trends, mm-hmm. and then as the story progresses, there is an erring towards maybe not explicit conservatism Mm -hmm. but the idea of tradition and i like how the traditional heteronormative monogamy and i like how the film kind of weaves that tapestry together you know you have marvin's character rossum who is anti-civilization yes um the first thing you know the song here it's all about how like the day they make california estate and bring law and order here that's the day yeah. I'm out. The people are that God created the earth and he created people and people are the ones that are ruining. They gummed earth. it up. Yes, yeah, they yeah. gummed he, it up. He, yeah. he, he's kind of there and he's like, but despite that cynicism, he has such a deep affection for people he'll back. Mm-hmm. Like he basically becomes friends with partner out of happenstance mm-hmm. and then backs him to the end of so, their journey yeah. together. So if, if we roll back our wagon. To yeah, the let's roll it this, back. The start of this 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 Gonna epic. roll your wagon. <laughs> roll it, roll it back. <laughs> and I should say, the only wagon-based musical I have seen before this was... Um, there are multiple wagon-based the, musicals. <laughs> the Team Star Kids, The Trail to Oregon, um, which is a great fun time based on the on the video game of, of the same name. Um, and you can name them dumb things. Um so we start off with Lee Marvin's character, Ben Rumson, Rumson who is um, one of the many people heading to California during the gold rush in the... Late 19th century. Yeah, um, and he is on his own, uh, and uh, a big wagon um, literally comes crashing down upon him. In Sam Raimi Evil Dead camera. It, oh my god, yeah, it is a very Sam Raimi camera. Um <laughs> And um, Clint Eastwood and uh, his brother are in it and his brother dies in the crash, but Clint Eastwood gets a broken arm and a broken leg. Uh, the rest of his party kind of come ah, down. they <laughs> dead. They better be because I'm burying them. <laughs> um, so uh, Ben goes to bury them with the rest of the party um, and he has a very uh, passionate, impassionate speech about... Um, 
his thoughts on God and yes. how um, he, the um, this this man is better off dead because he doesn't have to deal with all the horrors of life like and cholera, cholera and, and syphilis. syphilis. Um, Synced up on the syphilis there. <laughs> and uh, you get the sense of, okay, this is a very, you know, bitter old Betty Brigade. Uh, and then you get into the wild-ass comedy of this movie where all the men realize the, um, the, the, ba- grave, the they grave they've dug made. Has, it has gold in it. And then they loony tunes whip, whip this body up into the like air. twenty feet. At such speed. It almost seems like they speed up the footage. And we were both like, oh, it's this kind of movie. <laughs> and you just, from there, it just goes ham. Mm-hmm. Like, the Lee Marvin's performance in this it is fantastic. Um, uh, you know, whether his actual drunkenness on set contributed to playing this very drunk character, I don't know. But the phys- the physicality the physical of his comedy is brilliant. It's so slapstick three stooges Looney Tunes. Looney Tunes, like, that's what I mentioned to you. Yeah. There's a whole there's a bit where he stumbles to the river and he fully like face forward planks directly into it. It's not I'm fairly certain it's not a stunt double, no, it no, is no, it's him. him. It's like literally he sees Gene Seaberg breastfeeding <laughs> and he's just there like breast. Honestly, the physicality of this movie, like um, it is wild. I did. I did read that um, the extras on set uh, unionized and demanded more payment because of some of the working conditions and with some of the wild like explosions and stunt work that they did in this movie. I can maybe see why. Um, but yeah, Marvin's physicality is great. He's tumbling. There's a bit where he whacks um, Clint Eastwood on the head with a with a gold, a pan, gold pan and he does the whole yes, it's like vibrating him. Um, he's it, it's so good, but like it. It fits the tone of the movie so well. It's just, it, yeah, it, it, it's so, it's so unexpected Whimsical. in that first scene, and then it just goes full ham. Um, they build No Name City, population male, yes, uh, which eventually turns into population drunk, yeah. Um, and it's basically they form a little mining community, uh, yeah, mining yes. community where it's they're based city. around they're based around this river, um, mining for gold, and they create a whole community. You have. Um, the Englishman there, you have some Scots, you have some Irish people, you have people from Asia, you have a German character, you have um, this very posh guy from Massachusetts. Um, so this whole community builds up just around this gold. And Lee Marvin's character talks about this idea of moving from place to place and being a wandering star, you know, not being based in one location, always moving uh, around not being put in one spot and ruining the area, as he says in his in his songs. Yeah, totally. Um, and it's interesting you mentioned the the, un- the the workers there unionizing because I believe they were hippies as well, which kind of goes into the <laughs> countercultural aspects yeah. of this. And I think the interesting thing about Paint Your Wagon as a moment in cinema is the idea it comes out in 1969. When no one wants musicals well, anymore. <laughs> bear in mind that 1968 is probably the most tumultuous year in American history. Mm. You know, a year defined by assassination, protest, riot. Yeah. And you have this, and you have... This is the beginning of, you know, Nixon's been swept into power on the back of the uh, the silent majority. Mm-hmm. And the idea of, you know, oh, for every outspoken liberal or left-leaning hippie, you have a conservative family that isn't saying much but will vote for Nixon and stuff and I like how the movie is almost like an anthema to that moral panic it's basically being like no we've always civilization is a matter of perspective and we've always had these different undercurrents and elements working in and it's only when you bring your judgment to the table that Mm -hmm. things kind of intersect and and get all kind of murky but yeah like um they have the whole like the, the 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 mining city that they set up 
partner and Ben are setting up a pretty decent partnership. We have a nice little musical number from um, from a partner. I forget which one it is. It's the. Um, He's talking about his his. Uh, I still see Eliza. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Which is a great little. I love that little. Ditty. I will say, uh, people being like, Clint Eastwood sings in this movie. Yes, he does, and he's good. Yeah, he's good. Lee Marvin is. He's kind of sing talking a lot of it, but it sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I think um, it works perfectly for that character. I don't think it makes sense for him. The, 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 what partially why this music musical works so well for me is the fact that not everyone can sing because it lends less theatricality. Obviously, it's a very theatrical movie, yes. but it also lends that kind of everyman quality to it, yeah. where it's like these guys are literally these guys. These guys are there and they're just singing with a bunch of mates, and it's epitomized by songs like. Hand me down that can of beans. They are hoedowing for that can of beans. I will. I will say it is the only, arguably the only number in the entire movie that has actual choreo, and by choreo I mean yeah, 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 and jigging and dancing. <laughs> jigging. Um, as a musical fan, um, as a former musical theatre kid, <laughs> as a musical appreciator, <laughs> you know, I look back and can cringe. But um, this movie doesn't know choreo. It is blocked quite poorly for a lot of the musical numbers. I mean, it's a shame because for Clint Eastwood has a really good number later on, not to, not to interject, where it's uh, Gold does. Fever. Yes, Gold yeah. Fever. It's a great bit, and they have this great bit where... It's shot quite well, he's, yeah. He's, like, basically standing off at the gambling table, gets up, have this has this big lamentful song about greed. And the world's wa- kind of stopping yeah, around. And then him, he yeah. walks and then gets more chips and then comes back. But there's more that you could have done with that. Yeah, yeah, I think for that scene it works. It's quite introspective. Yes, yeah. Uh, for, but for other, like, much more big numbers, um, yeah, there is no choreo. It's just guys stood listening to other guys singing. Um, so it's not particularly interesting to watch for some of the musical numbers. You're just enjoying the uh, the vibes. The guys. Yeah, the hanging, just... It's a hangout movie. You're hanging out with the boys. Yes. So it, from a musical pers- in terms of, like, the way musicals are shot, especially at this time, actually, with the, you know, big... Oliver. Yeah, big bam... Uh, bambustuous? What the hell's the bambustuous. word? Bambustuous. <laughs> Bamzuki. <laughs> yeah, with these big Bamzuki moments. It's weird that it's not filmed <laughs> no in that way. No one going to know what a Bamzuki is. Look up Bamzuki, it's fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> do, do. A Bamzuki's great. Um, God, what a throwback to CBBC website, building your own Bamzuki. Having no, like, having no... CBB, what? <laughs> having, no, having no friends to work with you to submit your own uh, Bamzuki. I couldn't get a Bamzuki at work, mate. I tried so yeah, hard. Yeah, over themselves. Yeah, yeah I yeah. was always upset. It's like, it's like the Bamzuki was saying, Kill me! And then you give them, like, thicker legs, and then they're like, Ugh, what have you done to me? Anyway, Bamzuki tangent. Um, keep all of that in. Um, Bamzuki tangent of the, the week. But yeah, the, uh, it's not... The musical sequences aren't filmed that great. Um, I think we both agree to that. Yeah. Um, so it, it's it's uh, I, I, in the Welcome to the Basement episode they describe it as um, a musical choreographed uh, by and for men mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> who maybe don't fully understand musicals. Um, but you know, as we say, the songs are still fun in many an aspect. And, and again, Eastwood has a very nice voice. Um, I don't know if he sang in other projects. Um, yeah, I think he's, I think he's occasionally he done like the odd country song. Yeah, but I, I think he, he, he's good. And yeah, um, Ben's like, you know, I'm not a great person. I gamble. I drink. Um, I've slept with many another person's wife. But what I will never do is betray my partner. Um, and so already you have this kind of 
the term partner now is mm-hmm. quite loaded, quite romancy, quite queer coded. You know, multiple times in this movie where both of them are with each other, being like, "I couldn't ask for a better partner." I like you a lot, partner. Oh my! That that bit where Clint Eastwood says that I was, I went to you and was like, "Ooh, yeah, ooh." I love these two. There is a lot of queer subtext that you can extrapolate from Mm -hmm. this, and it gets more explicit when Gene Seberg's character is introduced. Um, I suppose we we, we can actually segue quite nicely onto that now. So as as No Name City continues to blossom from the gold that they've discovered the mormons show up and uh they're all because this is a population of just men they go wild when this woman shows up with not one woman but two woman they they lose their minds one guy pays 50 dollars for the privilege to just hold their baby yeah he's having a great time yeah he was gonna eat that baby. Yeah, maybe, maybe like if other people weren't there, he would have taken a bite out of that baby. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So so they show up, and then th- of course there's one religious fellow there who's like, I don't, I don't agree with Mormonism. I this don't isn't agree. recognized in the state of California. And then a bunch of other people are like, Well, we're not in the state of California. We're uh, we're in just a random bit of territory, mining law, mining yes. law, or whatever. Um. And then a few of them are like, Well, it's not fair that you have two women. We have no women. Which is two less than your women. Just like how Jesus shared that loaf of bread and those fishes, maybe you could divide your wives and spread them out among us. So one of the wives is Jean Seberg, and what the what the Mormon uh, fella decides to do is, well, if you guys, well, I think one of the it's one of the limeys that pr- proposes to it's like, buy. I will buy your wife. I will from buy you. your wife. Yeah. So they decide to hold an auction because she's pretty chill with it. And because she's literally like, well, I know what I've had and I could get better or whatever. <laughs> yeah, and, um, he's like, and his other wife's like, yeah, I don't like her. We need the money. Get rid of her. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, Ben is drunk on the table, completely ignorant of the entire situation. So she stays in the the hall with Ben, who's asleep and oblivious while they hold the auction outside. And she bre- starts breastfeeding uh, the the, ch- the child, and then Ben wakes up and he sees that, and it's almost like he's doing the Looney Tunes, the Tech Savory, the doy, and then he takes a walk around, has the funny you know pratfall that you yeah. mentioned before, comes around and um, decides to double everyone's bid and buys Gene Seberg. <laughs> her character despite partner's best efforts to be like yeah, he doesn't mean like, that no. and they're like do you speak on behalf of him and he's like i mean yeah do you have proof of that shit <laughs> yeah so gene seberg's elizabeth is bought as a wife they have a great sequence where ben. they're getting him ready for the wedding yes where they like uh dunking him underwater shaving him and he's just like oh i'm so drunk yeah uh and then they have their big wedding and then they have the ceremony where they're on the bed being carried off um, to their tent um, and we have a great scene here where Ben horned up ready to horn dog his way all over I mean, Elizabeth if we respectively say before we go into this before we get into this very serious scene mm-hmm. one Lee Marvin with a beard really did something for me oh I agree um, yeah. really did something for me um, and Gene Seberg Gene Seberg yeah, this this scene is very important. However, if I can say politely, my God, those titties! The, oh my God, we both were respect respectfully looking. Yeah, and by respectfully, I was going more as I was yeah. as I was watching. She she was gorgeous. She was, if I she can was be such a hot a hot lady. Yeah, um, and and she's there, and then and then while she is 
corseted yes. and seriously tiddying, as the yes. kids would say. And she has this great bit of dialogue with Ben, where she's like, listen to me, you little shit. She's pointing a gun at his dick, by the yeah, way. Yeah, it's like, you can, you can fuck me, but... God, I, I took this vow to be your wife and you took this vow to be my husband. So what I want is I want a house. I want you to look after me and I'll be proud to take your name. And then Ben is just kind of like struck by emotion again and is like... Well, goddamn. Well, goddamn. And then like, I forget the specific line, but it's really like beautiful. It's basically just like, yeah, I'll back you forever. And then they have sex after fade into black which is uh, cowards and we, and we both went no <laughs> <laughs> and then he walks out in the morning and the entire the entire camp on like at the river like <sighs> how was it yeah <laughs> uh, the congrats are like woo and stuff um so yeah the, 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 the new status quo is of ben and elizabeth um they make, they make a that house cabin. they make a nice lovely little cabin she has her own little number as well which is quite sweet she goes um, out in the middle of the night to bath and he's like, why did you leave in the middle of the night? And she's like, because I don't want to bath in the middle of the day with all these men looking at me. And, and Ben spirals a little bit, ben, having the one woman in this town of horny, ben horny men. gets paranoid. He gets really, really paranoid and possessive over Elizabeth. Um, and so they devise, after freaking out and nearly striking the, the, the posh fella from Massachusetts... Um, they devise a new solution because six comely French lasses. A virtue true. A virtue true. Oh, amazing. Hey, here, hand that parchment over here. How many broads do I get? <laughs> um, they're basically on their way to a neighboring town. Now, the solution that is devised here is that they steal the six comely French Mislead. lasses. Mislead. Mislead, yes. Um, and take them to no name city. To, to clarify, they are already um, women of the night. They, they are, are not being um, trafficked. trafficked. They are already going willingly to provide their services mm. to men of uh, of paying of payment and um, of a good re- a good reputation. Yeah, yes. good stock. Yeah. Yes. Um, and it's really I love this scene so much with the devising this solution because they have that moment where partner. And uh, Ben are discussing it, and then they come to the realization of like b- of the pitch they're making. And each time they're describing the pitch, they're basically arguing against the pitch, mm-hmm. but unenthusiastically. Like you don't want to get a body house in this town, and then you have to b- build a saloon, and another body house, and everyone would get filthy rich, and then another house, and then another mm-hmm. saloon, and another body house, and they decide to go and do it. Yeah. So they kidnap the ladies. <laughs> I keep on saying kidnap. It's more of a willful detour. Willful detour. The women are fine. They, you know, uh, they greet them with the 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 uh, the version. Oh, of the they French... play a really funky version of the Le French Mar- national anthem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The French national anthem. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Ben is leading the charge to go get these these women. He's wearing a. It's like it's like an old uh, Union cavalry uniform. So whilst he's away, um, partner is 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 kind of keeping an eye on Elizabeth, and um, they grow close. Uh, which is a closer, Clarice. Uh, which is really funny because when Ben comes back, he's super paranoid. He's like, "Why were you on a horse with her?" Blah, 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 blah. And he's like, "Because you took my horse, Ben. Um, whatever." And he's like, "All right, I know you're a good man. You would always talk to me if you did have feelings for Elizabeth." Well, that's why I'm talking to you, Ben, because I have feelings for Elizabeth. <laughs> <laughs> it's really good because at that point, um, <laughs> Ben goes and talks to Elizabeth, and is like partner's leaving because he has feelings for you mm-hmm. and then she's like 
well, I have feelings for partner. And Ben's like, well, guess, guess I'll, I'll go. Guess I'll go. Fuck my drag. And yeah. then Elizabeth is and partner walking at the same time. And they're like, wait, Ben, where are you going? And, and like, um, <laughs> Ben's like, well, I can't, I can't stay. And then Elizabeth is like, well, I love you, Ben. You can't go. And then partner's like, well, okay, I'll go again. And then she's like, no, you can't go too. I love you both. And they're like, what? You can't love this, but what? But it drives it. It drives a partner to drink. Yeah, yeah. And it's really funny this bit because she's just like, she's like, they're like, you can't have two husbands, and she's like, why not? And then Ben's like, you know what? Why can't she have two husbands? <laughs> she's like, if a Mormon man can have two wives, why can't a woman have two husbands? And Ben's like, show me where in the Ten Commandments it says that a man. Uh, that a woman can't have two husbands. And Clint Eastwood's there drunk being like, hey, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> and then we get... The our, polycule. Our perfect polycule. You know, Gene Seberg got to bag fucking Lee Marvin and Clint Eastwood <laughs> yeah. in the same movie. Yeah. That's a good success rate in my book. And it's a true polycule. There's a bit where she's at home and they both come in from work and she goes, um, good evening, Ben. Mwah. Mm. Good evening, partner. Mwah. And then they alternate nights from when who goes out to the... To to the club, to the whorehouses, mm-hmm. and to the, the bars, and who stays at home having fun with her, presumably. Yeah. So it Honestly. is a true it is a true polycule. It's properly lovely. Yeah, it's, it's really, really it's really like, nice. It's it's a like I know we've lived we the movie is quite theatrical and over the top in a great many ways. And people will have their feathers ruffled on you know the way that this thing resolves. But I think it's a genuinely, you know, um like affectionate portrayal of polyamorous love. Well, it is a very accurate portrayal of, um, you know, I'm, I'm not, I might not use the right terminology for the different mm. types of polyamorous relationships here, but it, it is truly a perfect example of a polycule where one person is dating multiple people. It's not like, it's not uh, one where they're all kind of together. It's one where one person is just with multiple people and they all live together and they share one person. And, you know, the two men don't, love each other they don't spend time together oh they love each other but they love each other but they're not they're not romantically involved it's only with the with the woman they're just really good friends they're really good partners (laughs) i like you a lot partner (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah things are going great the town's booming there's a great number from a priest that comes into town oh my god where it's like uh... no name city no name city where the gals are coming in (laughs) <laughs> something something, something vice versa soon this town is gonna, gonna be, be worse yeah oh, oh it's great so good yeah. i love that and he song. sticks around just to just to annoy everyone and there's a bit where a judge he comes into their house evident and it's implied that he goes there every night to pray for the polycule because <laughs> <laughs> like there's actually a bit where she's walking through town and all the other guys are super supportive they're like how are your husbands elizabeth she's like they're both doing fine and he's like husbands did i hear husbands um it's great the mining town are super supportive of of uh of their decision to all live together. Yeah, and at this point the town has fully become like a boom town. Like it is Loads of whorehouses, Sally's birthday pad, um what are some of the good good titles of ones they have? Is the Grizzly oh, Bear. Yes. I can't remember I, they've left such an impression on me and I've I know, forgotten yeah. most of them as well. Um but yeah, like the the whole town is kind of exploding. Um as partner and Elizabeth get down for their turn in 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 the in the shag pad. <laughs> Um, Ben is out on, on in the saloon drinking and gambling with his uh, limey friends. Um, and they discover, well, he spills a bit of his gold. And then they have the epiphany 
of... All these drunk men will be dropping their gold dust and it's going under the floorboards. And at this point in time as well, the gold reserves are drying up in this place. People are already talking about moving on to, like, Red Rock City or something like that. Yeah, they're very... Elizabeth does not want to move at all. She's very happy in her cabin with her two husbands. Mm. Um, And the winter is coming up. It's going to be hard, but the gold reserves are depleting and people are debating that, you know, they might have to leave no-name city population drunk. Um, so for the for, so for the Limeys and um, our partner and Ben, they're like, well, we're, we're going to dig all these tunnels underground under all the main saloons and stuff and find the spilled gold and collect all, all that. And that'll see us see us through. And that's and where you get mud song. That's where we get <laughs> the best things in life, which I love. I love it. It's such a good I know it's not technically a duet. I mean, because like, the, the, the other, you know, the other the conspirators Brits. get involved in the act as well. Um, but I just love, and it's, it, the song is very, very important in the movie as well, because this is where Partner crystallizes his belief of, I don't want to be mining gold all the time. I want to, you know, there's, there's the seed in the ground. And he has a song about trees, though. Yeah, yeah. He's talking about the idea of like... It's like Dear Evan Hansen. <laughs> You had to. Yeah. What? what? There's a song about trees in Dear Evan Hansen. It ends with him building like a forest with a guy who can. It's a whole thing. People yeah. who know Dear Evan Hansen yeah. will know. But yeah, so they he he. This is where it crystallizes this kind of idea of like I don't want to be a gold man anymore. And it is interesting because earlier in the movie when uh, Ben and partner are getting to know each other, partner says like, "Oh, I I'm not really a gambling man. I don't, I don't drink. I, I, don't, I don't, drink. don't fight. You know, I'm pretty chill. Like me, and my little brother came here after my older brother got married, and we're just trying to kind of make our way." And over the course of the movie, you know, he does that. He starts to gamble. He does drink a little. Not excessively, never excessively Mm -hmm. like everyone else seems to be. He seems to always be the one who is enjoying stuff in moderation, Mm -hmm. which most people in No Name City cannot do. Mm -hmm. Um, And he is very happy in the polycule, it seems. You know, he, he... he loves Ben. Quite... He loves Elizabeth. Yeah, there, there is nothing wrong with it. It's only as we get to the later part of the movie that, as he describes, once he gets a taste of normal life and kind of settling down, he he can't imagine it any other, enforced, any other way. Enforced by the arrival of more puritanical Christianity. Oh, I was going to do a really dramatic oh, entry there. And then everything got ruined the day they arrived. The Christians. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, yeah. So um, those a, pesky Christians. There's a hard winter settling in, um, and while everything is nice and sunny in paradise in the polycule <laughs> in, in No unit, Name City, yeah. Um, the this this poor injured group of Christian farmers comes in, and they uh, they put them up in the in 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 the cabin. Mm-hmm. Um, and they realize very quickly that these, these, these guests of theirs are not too, don't take too kindly to, um, to, to polyamorous. Non-Bible reading folk. Yeah, so, so she, she makes the mistake of basically saying like, oh, you know, partner's my husband. And then, um, they were going to mention Ben as the husband as well. And then she's like, wait, I can't now because I've already said to this old lady that partner was my husband. Not mi- not Mr. Rumson. Well, yeah. why does Mr. Rumson have your name? Uh, it was just a coincidence. And, you know, in my heart of hearts, I just wish in that moment that when they were judging her, she was like, yeah, I've got my two husbands and what? Uh, 
what you want me to not feed you soup to get yeah. better and instead of doing that <laughs> she feels the pressure of judgment she feels the weight of quote-unquote civilization and kicks poor lee marvin out of the house to go Which stay is interesting in... because it feels like she doesn't feel that way when she's with her mormon husband it's more the the fact that she's clearly the the least favorite and the most stubborn uh uptight not uptight she is uh in his own words, he says that, oh, so-and-so has 27 wives and none of them have ever given as much trouble as you have. Um, but it's when she's kind of in this domestic role um, that she, she's she, been craving. She wanted yeah. that house. She wanted everything. Yeah. She, wanted, she wanted that threshold to cross. I think it's it's the threat that <laughs> that civilization represented here by, by the Christian farmers. Yeah the threat that they, their judgment could take that away from her yeah because again like they the town massively outnumbers this group of mm-hmm. farmers because i believe it's other people that also yes, come other as people well come to, yeah. um you know they massively outnumber these people and you know she could have very easily as you say go oh they're both my husbands or they they both i live with two men oh mm-hmm. god forbid um oh he's the lord's name in vain oh, i'm so sorry mm-hmm. mr sick lady um you know do you want this soup or not um because you can go to the whorehouse if you don't want me to give you soup and to um, help your sickly daughter. Um, or you could just chill with me and my uh, two men. Who will look after you. Who will look after you. That's two men. Yeah. More than one. Yeah, more than one. One more than one. Um. So, yeah, Ben is kind of sad about this because, you know... He, he, he loves them he, both. He happened to be the one that wasn't there first. And, and she's like, well, I've already told them that partner's my husband, so you need to like not be here because it's it would be strange if you know this family friend was in the house still and so that's when we get wandering star which is a beautiful piece of music it's so lovely honestly like we watched a um like a compilation thing of a new york production mm. um an off-broadway production from about five years ago and Wandering Star and that is seemingly sung quite jovial. I don't know if they have maybe a reprise that's more sad. I think it's just the difference in performers. I think yes. Marvin... Here it's very longing and it's very like... Marvin yeah. brings such a degree of melancholy and like wistfulness he and does longing. Yeah. But I think that mumbling... He mumble murmurs it, the, but that's the, kind of what's good that's, about that's it. That's what yeah. makes it great. You know, he's kind of resigning himself to the fact that this is him. This is him in the first stage of having to move on. And he has been hurt. You know, mm-hmm. like, you know, the snow will make you... Uh, like, the snow the will snow hurt your will... eyes, but only people will make you cry. Yeah. And, like, hell is in hello and stuff. I think it's, like, such a... It's such a good ballad. It's a massive gut punch of a song. There's one line that the one line that stuck out to me was, um, "I've never seen a sight that didn't look better looking back." Yeah, and just this idea of this guy who has cut his whole life has been moving onwards and again that links into the stuff earlier where he hates civilization you know is always wanting to move on and you know even no name city they've built this massive hub um to accommodate you know the women and to have this big bustling economy but as soon as the gold's gone they're packing everything up they will literally leave all of these buildings and stuff behind and the thing that ben maybe is necessary is aware of but can't resist is the fact that you know, he's talking about, you know, humans gumming it up and stuff and how, you know, in um, the first thing you know, he talks about how cities destroy life and stuff like and that. And it stops things from growing underneath But it, he yeah. has built a muddy town that is stopping things. So he, in that... He can't grow. Exactly. So mm. there's, there's almost this realisation there that, like, everything in his... All the momentum here is pushing him away because he's being hurt by people mm-hmm. and he's partaken in the kind of capitalistic um kind of uh, dredging of the earth mm-hmm. 
that has forced him out of places previously. I suppose that's an interesting question, that if the Christians never came, do you think he would have still stayed? Well, he did want them to He, did he want wanted to, to go on. to Red Rock to get yeah. more gold, and and this was like, no, you can't go. If you're going, then partner has to go too. Mm-hmm. And the partner's like, well, I'd like to stay here. Well, both of you stay then. That's a good, that's a good scene where she's <laughs> yeah. like, you, need, you were going to leave Ben to, to work that's and toil in the argu- mines all gra- day. That's a great <laughs> argument where they're going around yeah. in circles. She's like, I can't believe you do this to my other husband. And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's great, yeah. yeah. Again, there's so many different layers to this movie. Yeah, it, it's, and you know, I believe during Wandering Star, a bunch of people are already starting to, yes, to leave the town. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's real sad. Um, and then Ben, being the little shit he is, out of spite, takes the Christian family's son on the night of his life. His three favourite things that he discovers is booze, cigars, and women. <laughs> I present to you the boy. Give me back the man. <laughs> yeah, oh my god. Taking him... Uh, which of these uh, of, of your of your ladies would be best for a first adventure? Well, that'd be Gracie. <laughs> um, you know, and Gracie evidently shows this lad a good time. He smokes cig- cigars like a pro. Meanwhile, Ben's going... <laughs> um, but yeah, out, out of spite, Ben's quite petty and takes this young, uh, pure boy and deliberately t- introduces him to sin. Yeah. Um, you know, a- a- and when they come back, because he's very, very annoyed about all of them saying grace at the table, he deliberately starts Because even partner shit. gets in the act and on the yeah. act now as well. He starts shit and he's like, I, I, I he's like, I'm not going to... I, he originally he says that um you know don't tell your parents like mm-hmm. don't tell them what we did you know just have fun and as soon as he gets back and sees them all saying grace he's like okay um so how was your time at the whorehouse my guy mm-hmm. um Horton. yeah how, how are you uh how are you doing um oh you're reading the bible yeah i can't stand that um anyway um hello wife um yeah by the way yes i mentioned that is my wife she does have two husbands go fuck yourselves <laughs> um, get out of my house um and so uh, and elizabeth is furious and we were very annoyed by this we were because you know we were like how could you you love your husband so much stand up for them why do you care so much about this random family who've been here for two days like why should why should you care everyone else has supported you this entire time and so both ben and partner leave because they're like well we feel really ashamed by it and they stop talking to each other um but I, I would like I like to think the main reason she was annoyed is because of the way that Ben went about it being a little mm. shit and deliberate deliberately and nastily deliberately corrupting. He's just this trying young to boy. prove the hypocrisy yes, of the theology, yes, isn't yes. he? He's trying to show that like that it's it's again civilization is a matter of perspective and objectively speaking, they were all happier living without the shame that has been kind of like Cast down on cast them. Cast down on them by people who really have no business doing that. Mm-hmm. So I totally understand why he's upset there. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the film does, you know, dive into the idea of, like, how much vice is a good thing? How much sin is a good thing? Yeah, the way, I, like the way I described it in my letterbox review was, um, you can have a little sin as a treat. Yeah, because it, it does show that, like, nice things are addictive, mm-hmm. you know? Ben is driven by the pursuit of gold and, you know, again, maybe knowingly or unknowingly that propels him away from people on top of the whole idea of not wanting to be hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, you have the whole idea of like capitalism spurring on the destruction of the environment. When they arrive in No Name City, it's a beautiful, green, idyllic piece of country. When they leave it, it's a sinking bog pit of it stinky, is like, mud. It, the, the town has literally sunk into hell. Yeah, exactly. Um, and they're literally like engaging in like animal fights for mm-hmm. entertainment and stuff. So 
it go, it does go into that as well. The conclusion, you know, it, it leans more into the idea of like traditional, you know, monogamy and relationships and that. But I think it's I don't think it's necessarily casting a view down either either way. I think it's just basically saying that you know all this outrage. The, these things have been going on for years and like the idea of like you know shame and yeah you know. I, I don't think it's a concern even though the movie ends quite conservatively i don't think that's what it's going for no. um you know we talked a little bit about this and there was a review that you read um fantastic review hang on, i'm gonna go find it now because yeah. i want to shout well, this person well, this, out th- this person was talking about how you know it it you know is clearly looking at like 60s counterculture but the people, interestingly, who go against the counterculture are the younger people. Mm-hmm. It is the old, the oldies who are like, I want to go about and do what I want and yeah, have fun so while doing it. It was uh, Nick Davis on Letterboxd. Um, their Paint Your Wagon review was was fantastic. I'll, if you want to keep going, I'll try and find like a really good quote that I yeah, enjoyed yeah, yeah. from it. Um, weirdly, it kind of reminds me of a conversation of, I, I had with my dad recently. And I'm not sure how old Lee Marvin was when he did this movie. I think he's just all perpetually... I think he a, was... 50 yeah i think he's perpetually just been like a silver fox um but there was a conversation i had with my dad recently and my dad um is is in his 60s now and he was saying how he's worked for like half his life and he's at the point in his life now where he just wants to relax and do nothing and that's kind and obviously with with uh ben and the other miners in this movie they're not doing nothing per se they are still going out and mining for gold and stuff but they're spending that gold on women booze gambling they're doing they're spending their money on vices and stuff to have a good time and i suppose it is this idea of when you get older there is like you just want to do stuff for you mm-hmm. and you know not feeling like pinned down because at that point you've probably already done marriage you've probably already had kids you've probably seen everything that normal western heteronormative society has told you that you should do so all these people are like well actually i'm not really into that i kind mm-hmm. of want to do my own thing now and is that not the american dream is that not manifest destiny itself yeah and that's the thing, you know, you have the conflating national myths there, the idea of absolute yes. freedom. But what partner wants to do is build something for the future. He wants to put grow. Mm-hmm. He wants to be a farmer. He wants to grow things. Yeah, it's and, like go out and find your yeah. own thing. But um, what is it he you wants want to start to like? But here, this is a this is one of the quotes I'm just going to read from this review, yeah. which I really really enjoyed. Um, Paint your wagon acknowledges, but also erodes the appeal of enduring national myths. Insists that some quote unquote recent challenges to the status quo surely have much deeper histories and conveys a sensible nervous uncertainty about what kinds of alternate social arrangements might replace those that have long ago proved their falsities and limits. Um, The movie could hardly be plainer about wanting to provoke discussion on every ground I've mentioned, plus two more ideas that come up for a specially pointed review. The uninterrogated enshrinement of the couple form as our romantic and domestic ideal, and the way capitalism is so dependent on rapacious resource extraction even or especially as those resources start dwindling, that it can only ever end by collapsing its own foundations and destroying its adherence. It's a fantastic review, um, and I think, you know, we were having these kind of conversations as we were watching it, but the way that they've articulated it here, I think, is fantastic. It's really insightful and nuanced, um, and really gets at kind of the idea that I think we've been hinting at throughout this entire review, is that Paint Your Wagon, despite some lethargic pacing and some, you know, like you say, uninspired blocking and choreography, is a fascinating film that really has not been given its due because people are boring. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) I will say, as we get to this part of the movie, you know, um, because when we were watching it, I was like, this is two and a half half hours, like two hours, 40 minutes. Like, it's kind of going by fairly fast. Like, I feel like you don't feel the length initially 
when it gets to um the last port the last third where you get the conflict with the christian community coming in that does when the film really starts to drag for me and maybe intentionally because yeah. it's almost like the whole vibe of the movie is being brought down I, I mentioned to you like even though wandering star like it makes sense for ben's arc to continue with partner and, and elizabeth and you get that resolution it does feel almost like he should walk off the film right there yeah. like it's such a gr- a great melancholic end point that that feels like the nat- the natural crescendo for Ben to leave. Rather you know, than, paint your wagon! Yeah. Paint your again, wagon! You, know, you, you can make an argument for saying that the more triumphant, you know, he's triumphantly embracing his, his wanderer status mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, but I just think in that moment, him feeling so crestfallen about mm-hmm. everything and feeling compelled to move on because yeah. there's nothing left for him, that's uh, beautiful. And again, like, you know, it isn't, there is a charm to these excessive... 60s epic musical productions. You are a slut for Oliver. I do love Oliver. Yeah. Come here, bullseye. Bullseye. (laughs) No. no. (laughs) I'm reviewing the situation. Oh my god. Can a fella be a villain all his life? You're gonna. I, I did Oliver. I mean, everyone who says the podcast of me and Dan, I've gone into the introduction of how me and Dan met. And it was. Oh my god, yeah, it was through the production of Oliver. Consider yourself. Oh, friend. <laughs> that's not paint your wagon. That's no, that's not. that's. Paint I feel your like orphan. I said to this immediately after watching it yesterday that I feel like this will replace Oliver. This is going to mm. be your new paint. Paint your wagon is going to be your new. I again, I can't really bombastic musical. I can't obsession. overstate how obsessed I've become with this movie. I found online earlier a paint your wagon, uh, like theatrical accompaniment guidebook on Oxfam. But yeah, so we get to the situation where Partner and Ben aren't talking. Um, they're still mining gold. They're still mining gold underneath the town. They realise that, you know, the, the bear and bullfight is coming so they need to get a tunnel underneath there so they can collect all the spilling yeah. gold dust. It is a sin to have these animals ravage each other on the Lord's Day. Ayo, what if we did it on not the Lord's Day any other day of the week? Is that fine? <laughs> But yes, they have the, there's a great part in the bull and bear fight where no animals are harmed in the mm. making that we know of, I don't know, uh, where the preacher <laughs> breaks into the, the the arena and he's just like lambasting the bull. You stupid bull, stupid bull, stop fighting. Why are you fighting, I you stupid I command you in the name bull? of the Lord and the bull's like, <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, the bear's like in a cage, like, oh, this guy again. <laughs> It's smaller than the average bear. But then, from the tunnels they've been building underneath, hell swallows them whole. Yeah, and and obviously, uh, uh, Ben is underneath the tunnels. The bull gets swallowed up, and then it, it's again. There's an inter- an interesting visual connotation here, which I hadn't really thought of when we were watching it the first time. The idea that Ben, who exemplifies avarice and vice is locked in the tunnels with the exemplar of moral... Uh... Oh, yes, Wall Street, the bull. Yeah, yeah, and the bull as well. But I was thinking of, like, you know, the preacher, like, the the, the guy mm. who's been railing against all of it. In the well, end... He falls into the, in, but... into the hole and he goes, what the hell was it, that? In, Damn you. In the end, they are both in the muck together. Yes, he's still, you know... I think when I watched it, I immediately thought of, um, like, the Minotaur-like maze, mm-hmm. um, which I know is Greek... Uh, yeah, yeah Greek, you can still agree with all these longest yeah. running, enduring, influential yeah, the set bu- stories ever. Yeah, the the bull the bull is you know there's that big monument on uh, yeah, it is Wall Street. Yes, isn't it, it Wall is. Street yeah. bull. Um, so it represents like all this greed and it's chasing these guys down in these tunnels whilst and the destroying rest, their civilization. Whilst the rest of the town literally sinks into the ground. There's some great physical slapstick comedy. There's a bit where 
um, the uh, the very horny Christian mm. gets flung out on a double bed, just thwacks onto the ground. Also, it looks like it hurt. Wonderful bit where Ben is staggering out, and there's a wonderful shot of him, and then just an entire building collapsing in the background. Oh yes, which is really really there's a bit good. where he goes into a saloon and he takes a drink, and because the whole saloon is swaying back and forth as it's sinking he thinks it's the booze and he's like this is good stuff and he like goes back and forth it's an excellent um overblown little finale yes uh and then after the town is destroyed they're like well can't live here anymore yeah uh elizabeth's like i'm gonna stay here anyway though because i was born in this cabin and i'll die in this cabin and then ben and partner get ready to leave together Ben isn't really prepared to say goodbye to Elizabeth mm. because it's just he just doesn't have it in him anymore. Uh, and then Ben's like, wait, you're not staying with Elizabeth? And Ben is like, no. So Partner's like, well, I guess I'll stay then. And then Partner comes back with Elizabeth and... Reveals his name is Sylvester Newell. N- Newell. Yeah. Um, yeah, because at this point, um, Partner has confessed that, you know, um, I was happy the way we were. Um, and Ben's like, why can't we be the way we were? And he's like, well... After I got to essentially experience monogamy with you, I can't experience... I don't think I could go back. Like, this is what... I really enjoy doing this with you. And it wouldn't feel right. Whereas Ben's like, no, let's go back to how we were. Like, it was great living together. But partner now, you know, after testing the waters with gambling and drinking it and, you know, illegal activities of of stealing gold from underneath floorboards, he's like, I kind of want to just settle down. After going to Woodstock in 66, (laughs) he now wants to settle down and vote for Richard Nixon. I had a wild trip, man, and now I'm ready to just, like, vibe with my my former Mormon wife. Um, So Ben's like, well, I'm leaving. That means you can stay. Partner's like, but you paid for her. She's technically your wife. And he's like, ah, you love her. Abandoned claim. Yeah, go get her. Mining laws, go get her. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then, and then Ben rides off into the sun. It's not really a sunset. They're riding off together to the last tune of the mo- of the movie, which is again the. And that's paint your wagon. Yeah, it's a great time. Very long. Uh, it doesn't necessarily feel that for a lot of it. Um, I'd say the middle portion of the movie is the best part. Truly, again, Clint Eastwood, Pollock movie musical. It is, if you hear those four words and enjoy the sound of them, uh, watch it. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of very interesting takes you can have on this movie around, as you say, counterculture, um, conservatism, uh, you know, polyamory, uh, queer theory, you know, um, masculinity, um, uh, Matchup, what's it called? Uh, uh, the study of machismo. Lee- yeah, you know. the, the study of uh, Lee Marvinism. Yes, that's yeah, a, yeah. that's a school of, yeah. of academia I've just invented. Yeah, Eastwoodism. Eastwoodism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I think I, I think it's a really fun time. Uh, a lot of the music is very good. Some of the music is from the musical, and other stuff they wrote for it. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm not sure which is which. Um, but great performances. Lee Marvin, as we said, is exceptional. Um, this is the only comedic performance i've seen from him so i'm quite intrigued to watch his um oscar-winning turn um in that other movie um and it's also yeah i'd say eastwood is is good i I think he he's kind of there to almost be the straight man in a way (laughs) he plays it so well (laughs) he's not a straight man because he's an apollo (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i i really enjoyed it i think the last third really does bring it down it's very long um, and you don't really feel it for the first part of it. But again, that kind of ties into the fact that that's kind of where the characters are brought down, where they kind of, where they feel this shame of suddenly civilization moves in on them and goes, this isn't right. 
it's it's almost like this sound this sounds almost over dramatic in a way it almost feels like they're being colonized where they have this bunch of like puritan farmers coming in being like we don't like your way of life change it mm-hmm. well they don't even they don't they don't even say change it they're just their presence makes them be like oh god i feel like i can't be myself anymore and um, we need to conform um which is kind of sad it's kind of sad in a, in a way because i again i don't feel like this movie is you know conservative i think it portrays this polycule and it portrays these characters in a very affectionate way yeah there is clearly love between them all it's quite quite romantic in a lot of aspects um and it's just a sh- it's just a shame and that's how it ends up i think it just it's know? more like i like yeah i agree it's not Ben cons- leaving's quite melancholy at the end yeah like i i don't think it, it's observing the the shift in trends as people skew towards conservatism yes. as they you know you know however you want to describe that you know some people do shift more conservatively as they get older and stuff like that so you could even view it from that point i do think it's it's i i love this movie i think it's great it's one of those four star movies that i can say that i love mm. um which is like you know I, i'd class bram stoker's dracula that's a four star movie that i love midnight run four star movie that i love i like that it's a good topic let me know your favorite four star movies that you would say you love and have like personal resonance mm. and significance because I think Paint Your Wagon's definitely up there. And yeah, it's just been nice to talk about this movie because it's something that I watched the first time. something you watched the first time. Um, I fucking love Lee Marvin. He's great. Clint Eastwood is obviously great. Gene Seberg, absolute legend. Um, yeah, fantastic production. Again, some very obvious flaws. And I can totally understand why people in the 60s did not like this movie. And I can also understand why people a day would not like this movie. But please, folks, I am begging you, do not form your opinion based solely on the fact that <laughs> you've seen Clint Eastwood sing and you think it's silly. Hey, if you watched <laughs> all of uh, Gangs of New York or The Irishman, you can sit down and watch Paint Your Wagon for three hours. Exactly. Paint Your Wagon Wednesdays. With blood. Hey, we watched it on a Wednesday as well. Paint Your Wagon Wednesdays. Yeah, we did, yeah. We're going to watch Paint Your Wagon every Wednesday, starting this Wednesday, folks. <laughs> I hope you're ready for some more Paint Your Wagon. <laughs> it's like those accounts where it's like it posts like one clip of the same TV show every day. Mm. Like, <laughs> except it's just Paint Your Wagon. Yes. Um, yeah, this has been, I think that's everything we have to say about this film. Yes. Um, I'm looking forward to talking about Lee Marvin again. I'm going to be doing The Professionals with Dan Dreamer and Mike Scott of Action for Everyone in November. So that'll be exciting. Um, and obviously we've got some more stuff coming up in October. Lots of fun, kind of not really settled on an explicit theme for the remainder of the year, but I'm kind of going for cozy vibes. Mm. I really want to do an episode on The Firm as well. I love The Firm big coat movie that you know everyone's wearing big coats i'm wearing a, a big knockoff udi right now does that count um if you can can you do lawyer stuff in it and and give me loads of dialogue about law no can you run away from tobin bell as he pursues you menacingly also no i'm well, not very athletic well damn well i'm gonna have to watch the firm anyway then who are the people that paint your wagon ewan <laughs> Oh, yeah, special shout out to the Wheel of Dad movies, Paint Your Wagoners. Uh, thank you so much to Christopher Darby, George Jackson, Thomas Mulgrew, Shaka, and Josh Brown. Remember, you can go and support the Wheel of Dad movies podcast on Patreon. We are there. You can get episodes early um, and some other fun things like written content, which I've been neglecting terribly. But I've been meaning to write this professional's essay for, an, for a long time now. And this is a pretty good excuse to do it. So... It's getting done. That's my solemn vow. October has been a very busy month for me. I've been doing work things that have been embargoed. Um, but yeah, so 
This has been the Little Dad Movies Podcast. Remember, you can follow it on Twitter too. And you can follow me on Twitter at Ewan Ruins Things. I'm on Letterboxd at Ewan Patterson. Uh, slash E underscore Pats. Um, and yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. I think we're going to close this out now with another with a lovely rendition. number. Could you do, give me the bomb ba bombs? Yeah. Boom, boom, doom, boom, doom, boom, doom, boom, doom, boom, 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 Wheels are made for rolling, mules are made to pack. I've never seen a sight that didn't look better looking back. I was born under a wandering star. See you, everyone. Bye.